The Antidote welcomes Kenzie Coyne of Hello Luna. Thanks so much for joining us, Kenzie. Thanks for having me on. Well, tell you what, what about taking us back to day one? How did Hello Luna come to be? So Hello Luna came to be about six years ago. I was working on a solo album. So at the time, I had really tried to figure out if I wanted to do music, if I didn't want to do music. And basically, um, I went on tour with a band and I was like, this is definitely not what I want to do. Um, <laughs> I just got a bad taste in my mouth and it just happened to be the band that I was uh, working with. It just made me feel like, wow, this isn't something that I think I want to pursue full time. So I was in the studio working on my solo record and we hired studio musicians to come in and basically do drum and bass over top of my acoustic songs. And I really hit it off with the studio musicians and the drummer. So he was having me open up a ton of the shows for his local band. And then I kind of like got it in my head. I was like, you know, maybe I want to start a full band. So I did. I just put something out on Facebook and was like, hey, you know, local bands looking to write some songs with some other people. And it was just me and this drummer at the time. We ended up finding a bass player and a guitar player in no time. And we rented out a practice space and we just started writing music together. And it was just a lot of fun. It was such a new experience for me because writing music was always just like something I did just on my own in my room. So to collaborate with other musicians, it was such a new and exciting experience for me. And like, I just absolutely loved it. I mean, the energy that was created, it was just, I, there was nothing like it. I mean, I was hooked. We came up with a few songs in a very short amount of time. And essentially what happened is I had shows booked for Kenzie Coyne. And when my band started picking up when Hello Luna started, like, okay, like we're kind of in a position where we could play shows. And I took the shows I had booked for Kenzie Coyne and I messaged the people. I said, hey, instead of putting Kenzie Coyne on that bill, can you put Hello Luna? And I just walked in with the full band. <laughs> <laughs> so we just immediately had shows booked. Well, I have to tell you that I went on a hunt for the music of Hello Luna and the earliest song I found was Stitching Holes from 2016. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you found Stitching Holes. That's like OG. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about it is that the song mentions about being tongue-tied. How is it possible for you as a vocalist to ever be tongue-tied? Oh, you know what's funny is like I have multiple songs. So there's actually a song I have called Tongue-Tied. It's one of our like more popular songs. Um, I'm trying to remember all the lyrics in that, but yeah, there's a lot of times where I do, like as a lyricist, I do feel tongue-tied. A lot of my lyrics aren't necessarily conveying a story like that I'm like writing in my head. A lot of it is poetic expressions of just like emotion, you know, but a lot of times I'll write a song and I figure out the meaning afterwards. You make it sound like it's your subconscious that's delivering the message. You know, it absolutely is. And that's something that I think is kind of the magic of songwriting for me. I, I really do enjoy that part of it. That's why, like, 
you know, I could write a song that had like, okay, this is me in a place and I'm feeling these emotions. But for me, it's like writing from almost like the subconscious is, is an expression that rather than like, if somebody asked me about the song, like, I'm not going to be like, able to express to them, like, exactly what it is, they're able to take their experiences and kind of project on it. I don't feel as a songwriter a huge obligation to give a huge backstory on any of my music because I've never run into a situation, especially with Hello Luna, where anybody has ever been like, I don't really understand what's going on here. Like, there's still a ton of emotion. There's still a ton of expression that's being like released inside of the song. So writing from like kind of these more, just like an art form, you know, it's, it's kind of like abstract art you find the right person to look at it, they're going to have a whole story behind it and almost more so because of like the way that it makes them feel. Um, I am pretty good at expressing myself in like artistic ways, but sometimes you need to give concrete answers. I do, I do tend to struggle with that a bit because I don't necessarily think in the straight and narrow. I want to bring in the 2017 EP Ghost of You. And the EP title is part of the lyrics of Empathy, where it says, Empathy runs through me. I feel the ghost of you still haunting me. The parts of me that used to be, they feel empty. It took a part of me. But I mean, that's such a sad song. Have you had healing from that experience? Yeah, I have. Now, when I wrote that song, I had not. So when I wrote Empathy, this was prior to my dad being on trial, basically facing life in prison. Oh, boy. Um, So when I had written that lyric, like nobody knew that side of him. He was a very prominent doctor. He had high status, um, but he was extremely abusive my entire life. But he was very wealthy. So I was never able to like, convey the abuse. Um, I experienced a lot of domestic violence and anybody that's experienced that understands that it's not something that people just talk about, especially when it's a parent, because there's an obligation as a child to respect your parents. And especially me being a Christian. First of all, if I were to come out and say this, it was like, I didn't even know if people would believe me. He never admitted to any of it. So it was something that me, my mom, my sister held on to. So when I wrote Empathy, it was kind of about this person that I wanted my father to be. The way that I coped with the abuse was basically by empathizing with the monster that he was. Mm. So rather than admitting to myself, okay, my dad's a bad guy, he is abusive, you know, I would turn around and I would just empathize with the fact that that was part of his manipulation tactic was basically making himself look really weak after the abuse or like crying after he would do something horrific. And so my empathy became like extreme and it kept me in really abusive situations. It kept me in really dangerous situations. Um, because I didn't know up from down. I didn't know left from right in that, in that sense. I was so confused. So 
I think empathy specifically really taps into the crazy mind games that I was kind of playing within myself of like trying to justify these actions. And most of the abuse happened when I was very young, the physical abuse. Mm -hmm. So when I got older, it became more of a mental type of thing. He's in prison now, but that's what Dear Demons is all about, is basically about him going on trial, facing life in prison. Yeah, when I wrote that album, he was not on trial. Now, when I released the album, he was on trial. That song, and, and most of my songs, were about him. It took me a long time to even face those things. I do find that happening where the songs can tie into each other. Like where empathy actually ties in directly to the song Sympathize from the Dear Demons mm -hmm. release. The song says, yeah. I sympathize because it may be strong. I recognize that you did me wrong. I took the time to redesign my thoughts of you, but now I wonder. But we are talking just sympathy, not forgiveness. Is that right? Right. You know, when I wrote Sympathize, that was when my dad was being faced with a very public trial. I mean, it was all over the news. I couldn't escape it. I mean, I couldn't turn on my TV because it was just everywhere. It's a very public trial. It was the first time in my life that people actually had an idea of who he was. And I had never realized how distorted my view was of him. And I was really struggling to come to terms with that. Because one side of me knew what he had done. And one side of me was dealing with a lot of hurt, was dealing with the understanding of that. But there was another side of me that could never truly reconcile that because nobody else did. You know, if you see the monster in somebody and nobody else does, you know, it takes a very, very strong person to be fully realized in that. And even though my mom and my sister had experienced the same abuse, we all experienced it in different ways, in different stages of our life. And I was very isolated in my abuse. My abuser was my own father. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I could ever fully come to that point where I was like, start healing. It was always the delusion. When he went on trial, it went from my entire life, people kind of thinking I have this um, unjustified bitterness towards him, to people going, I want him dead. He's disgusting. He doesn't deserve to live. And it was just such a bizarre moment in my life, because for the first time in my life, I was going no, I don't hate him like that. I don't have that bitterness towards him. The first time he went to jail, I thought it was my job to like call him and make sure he was okay. You know, I remember going to my church and I remember going up to my pastor and letting him know what happened. And the best thing he ever said to me was, it's not your job to fix him. It's okay. This is his burden. Like you're his daughter your roles are reversed here. You don't owe him. You don't need to make him better. For him to say that to me at that point, I really feel like God gave him those words because like, no one had ever told me that. I wasn't able to take care of my emotions and how I was feeling through the situation because I was so worried about him and taking care of him. And it was, it was a very interesting time. 
the sympathy aspect of it all, it's like forgiveness is a tricky word. The forgiveness that people expect and the forgiveness that I believe is biblical, especially for people who are abusive and who will continue to cause you harm, who have caused you harm. Now, now forgiveness between a friend and an altercation, that can be beautiful because that can be reconciled. And that's awesome. But just because that forgiveness looks that way doesn't mean that forgiveness looks that way for everything. Understanding what forgiveness actually means. It's a journey. It's not a destination. I sit here with the knowledge that there is a dark realm, that we are surrounded by entities that um, are not of this world, and that those can enter into other people. And our fight is not against flesh and blood. And that's something that has really got me to understand what forgiveness looks like. Really sounds like your songs are different chapters of just one story. I think they are in a lot of ways. It's like my way of processing my abuse. I think there's snippets of like the person I was, the person I'm trying to become and the faith journey in between all of that. Why don't we lighten things up a little bit? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Hello Luna's sound, it's hard to define. I mean, it's definitely alt-rock, but it's also pop, and at the same time it can both be melodic and aggressive. So, I don't know, does that mean you guys have no sense of direction? You know, it's funny because... I have a very eclectic taste in music. And when I started writing this, you know, I come from a folk singer-songwriter background. I knew I wanted to do something in regards to alternative rock. I don't know if you, like, tapped into our reimagined album, which is really <laughs> completely different um, than the rest of the music that we've written. And it's absolutely gorgeous. Like, Great Escape. It's so different. Yeah, it is so different. Personally, I feel like we fall pretty heavily into the indie rock, alternative rock genre. One of the toughest things, I think it's because we're pretty genre fluid. And I think, you know, moving forward, like our newest record, um, Into Static, I think we leaned pretty heavily into like the, the indie rock side of things. But as far as like moving forward, like when we wrote the reimagined album, like I've always wanted to lean more into like the pop side of things, more electronic, like less just your standard sounding alternative rock bands. So like I always try to keep our music a little bit more open ended. A lot of the music that we've been writing has been stuff that's been backlogged for years. Um, so I'm really excited to see like what's next. I think we've been pretty comfortable like with our happier indie rock songs. Those tend to do really well online. Mm -hmm. But in a live setting, our harder songs like Sympathize and Tongue Tied, those are the ones that really connect with the audience. So I'm very torn and like, what do I lean into? Do I go for more of the harder rock songs? Do I stay safe and do these indie rock, you know, marketable songs? I... I really go back and forth. I'm not really sure. 
you mentioned just a moment ago about Into Static. It's your first full length and it just released in January. Yeah. It is different from your previous stuff once again. It's more polished than your past music. Yeah. I think we were more developed as musicians. COVID played a big part in that. Those songs were written, you know, two years prior to that. And we had a bank of probably like 50 songs. Some of them were more developed than others. But basically, I showed them to the guys. We listened through all of them. And they picked out their top 10 favorite songs. Or I think it was like maybe more than that, like 15. So we demoed all 15. And Dear Demons was the top five off of that. And then the rest of the album was the other ones that we had picked. So we had these demoed out for years. And so when it came time to actually put out the album, they were already demoed. And then when it came to actually writing the album, the guys took the songs and there are some songs have like 10 different demo one, demo two, demo three. Like we have a Patreon and I was sending them a lot of the different versions of the demos. And, you know, they can tell you how many different variations of lead lines of vocal lines of everything that it took to kind of create this album because the guys were so hyper-focused into making these songs perfect. I mean, it was almost like never-ending. Like, we could have still been working on this album and going back and forth. I mean, there were so many different aspects of this, and and it all got fine-tuned inside of the studio. I mean, we had never even played them as a band. I basically wrote them on my acoustic guitar. My drummer took them, kind of like made it, a little bit more cohesive and then he demoed them out and we worked years on going back and forth. I don't know that I want to do that again. (laughs) It was a lot. That sounds Um, more like work than creating. Yeah. And it, and it was, and I think it comes off. People can sense that in the album. A lot of what we're doing is just, it's so intense. I'd love for to make a song that like breathes a little bit more. Of course, I'm like, oh yeah, I put on an album. Let me talk about the new stuff I'm thinking about making. Like, it's just the musician in me that like ready to move on to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that from other artists, and they say by the time the album's out, you're so sick of it. You just want to oh, be yeah. done with it. Oh, gosh. And especially how long that it's taken to like write this and everything else. But at the same time, I'm still very emotionally connected to every one of those songs. I'm extremely proud of the record that we put out. It is a work of art, and it is something I am very proud of. Well, let's talk about one of the songs from that. Never Enough. That song makes it sound as if you've always struggled with relationships. So that means there's no knights in shining armor in your background? (laughs) You know, after I went through the trauma that I did, my dad going to prison and everything, I decided that I was going to just cut out relationships as far as like, you know, boyfriends and everything go. I, I just, I wanted to just be focused on myself. I wanted to be focused on just my relationship with God. I I just felt like I wanted to find myself again. Um, 
I was looking back over my previous relationships and how much they had sucked out of me. And, and that was partly my fault, but it, it just became a point where I had seen so much spiritual evil. I, I mean, I felt like I was living in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. The last thing on my mind was a romantic relationship. I mean, it, it just didn't seem like in the cards, it seemed too lighthearted. I wasn't mentally there. You know, there there is a level of like humbling yourself to be in a relationship. And when you're going through trauma, your life is intense. And that's kind of the place that I was in. And and I didn't expect anybody to fully understand it. I didn't expect anybody to like kind of stand by my side and understand it. I left the person that I was with in the middle of it because I saw them not being able to like handle it. It was too much for them. And that kind of just put me in an altered state where I was just like, no one can handle it. And I knew I had to work on myself to become a human being again (laughs) before I could get myself into a relationship again. And that was something that I trusted God in. It was something that was really difficult. And I went through a really intense season of loneliness. I had done it for, you know, four plus years. And then the fifth year hit and it stopped being so cool to be completely single. And I actually healed. And I looked back at myself and I, I was like, now I have to be happy. And that scared the crap out of me. I was like, wait, no, just give me another fight. And now I have to think about myself. <laughs> So it was a struggle. I knew how emotionally wrecked I was. It's interesting that you're saying this because during this conversation, I'm feeling that you're very confident in yourself. And I'm not going to be sexist with this comment, but the fact is I find many female vocalists, they seem to be afraid of using their voice at full strength. But that doesn't seem to be an issue for you. A wimpy female singer. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah, that that's something that like actually took a lot of time to kind of like accept about my voice. I have a lower register, so I really struggle to like hit the higher notes. I kind of struggle to kind of have that whisper tone that a lot of female vocalists have. One of the songs, I think it was Never Enough, where we ended up using the demo vocals because the vocals that I had done in the studio, the guys were just like, these are too intense. Um, And I've gotten that feedback several times from different producers and different people working on the records. It's like, you're pushing your voice too hard. And it's something that I definitely do more in a live setting. Like if you go to any of my live shows, like I will yell into the mic, I will growl into the mic, like I use my full voice. That's something that I really enjoy doing to express myself musically. So then why follow the status quo? Why not just do what you want? Because they showed me my vocal take that I was doing in the studio. And then they showed me my vocal take that was done on the demo. And the demo vocal sounded much more smooth. It sounded like dynamically it fit the song and it was serving the song. Now, for me, the vocal takes that I was doing inside of the studio that day, it made me feel good. I felt good, but it wasn't serving the song. I have no problem pulling my ego out of it. Like, if you have me listen to something and you explain to me, like, why you're feeling this is a better take, 
and I hear it and I hear that is a better take. This does serve the song more. Then I'll take it every time. You know what we should do is that we should talk about the title track from Into Static. Oh, yeah. The final verse says, no, it's automatic. You can't unmask it. If things are getting harder, then push harder through the pain. I do like that idea, but that's not an easy thing to do. No. And it's funny because when I wrote that song, it was before COVID. So like the whole unmask it thing, like that was before COVID had ever became a thing. It always made me laugh that like we had it in our song. Also, one of our promo shoots that we did, we I like was wearing masks. And that was before COVID too. Super weird. Anyways, um, so when I wrote that song, that was when I was like, leaving this relationship that it was so hard um i mean it was i was basically doing the scariest things in my life that i knew how to be done for years i knew i was in a relationship that wasn't gonna last couldn't leave it i knew that if i wanted to follow god fully like i was going to have to change big aspects of my life and i was in such an emotionally vulnerable and tough spot like I had witnessed so much darkness in my life that I was just ready to fight. There was a moment before my dad went to prison where I saw him and he was just a shell of a person. And it was really scary to look at him in the eyes. And I used to think back on that a lot. It used to really mess me up thinking about his eyes, thinking about the darkness that was there. I remember I was like, I was working out one time. I was like running on the track. I remember thinking to myself, the worst thing the devil ever did was show himself to me because now I know who I'm fighting. And into static is basically a war cry about fighting the dark realm. You know, if things are getting harder, then push harder through the pain is like, you have to be long suffering. You have to learn how to suffer. You have to learn how to fight. You have to learn how to take a punch and get back up. You have to learn like where your strength comes from. There was just this fire that ignited inside of me the second that I said, I'm turning it all over. I'm turning it all over to God. I was ready to either off myself or off my flesh. Mm. And when I would have these conversations with God of like, how would you get me get so low that I want to die? And then God gave me the invitation of like, you aren't happy like this. Turn your whole life over to me. And I was like, okay, that's even crazier because then I have to witness what happens afterwards. And I did. And I cut out everything that I thought was like hindering me on my walk. If it was relationships, if it, you know, I stopped smoking weed, I, you know, gave up alcohol for a period of time. You know, I was the most sober I had been in years of my life you know, sober from relationships, sober from drugs and alcohol. You know, it wasn't like I felt better. Things became harder. And into static is talking about entering into that place of the unknown, entering into what would it be like if I actually did the thing that I've been trying to do my entire life that I didn't think I was strong enough to do, which is follow God fully. Once I did that, I, you know, wasn't perfect. And I was very arrogant in the sense of like, I know I have to fight all of this on my own, which 
was definitely humbled out of that. But there was a sense of like, I was ready to suffer and I was accepted with open arms for that. I thank God that that suicidal thought turned into a giant ball of fire. Well, it's obvious that God has been changing you. Do you think your music is also going to be changing others? You know, that that's my mission statement. It's like taking my pain to, to help others to connect with it and to, to be able to process their pain. One thing that I do understand as a musician, like growing up around other musicians, we can light a spark in people. And I think that's a beautiful and amazing thing. There was a time where I thought it was my job to save everyone. And I became so weighted down by that. And it took a long time for me to humble myself to realize like, it's, it's not my job to save people. I feel like it's my mission to go and to create music and to create environments for people to be connected to music. You know, people have their whole lives around my songs, you know, like they'll listen to a song on repeat and it'll mean a lot for them in that season of their life. And I'll, I'll never be a part of that. I don't understand that part of their life, but like, that's why I do what I do. Like, it's not my job to like be hands on with that. Of course, when people tell me that it matters so much to me because that is truly what I do. It was not a band or a person that got me out of the place that I was. It was my faith. And I hope that I can help as many people as possible. You know, I have big visions for, for what can be done as far as like mental health and domestic violence goes. But at the same time, as much as I truly have a passion for helping people, I also know my limitations. Kenzie, thanks so much for taking this time for this talk about Hello Luna. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Dave. It really means a lot.